0: ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Exit 77, a Notre Dame football podcast. I'm your host, Drew Brennan, coming at you live from the suburbs of Chicago here on uh, Tuesday night. Um, We are a few days uh, out from the Notre Dame-Ohio State game at Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday night in South Bend. Um, Unfortunately, it turned out to be a 17-14 Ohio State-Buckeyes win. Um, a game that I think a lot of us will will not soon forget um <laughs> for for a variety of reasons, and uh everything that happened and went down that night on on a nice beautiful day in South Bend what turned into be i guess you would say more than anything a nightmare from that evening uh joining us on the on the podcast today we've got chris crater um dialing in from uh, lovely Cincinnati Ohio as he's there for work um but yeah we'll uh We'll get to you here in a second, Chris, but I'll just give a quick uh, recap as it relates to everything that went down and, and took place. I was at the game on Saturday night. Um, we saw, obviously, you know, one of the cooler stadium environments and atmospheres we've seen at Notre Dame Stadium in a long time. And, you know, it was one of those back-and-forth games where uh, Ohio State took a 3 nothing lead going into halftime. Uh, they actually went up 10 nothing at one point in the third quarter. And then Notre Dame finally got on the board um, with about a uh, little over three minutes left in the third quarter to get the score to 10-7. And then actually Notre Dame took the lead with about eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter, going up 14-10. And we won't go into it, but Ohio State scored uh, the game-winning touchdown with about one second left to go on the clock to make it a final of seventeen to fourteen. Um, all right, I probably have said enough with regards to what I want to talk about as it relates to just the overall game um, from a scoring standpoint. But uh, Chris, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it over to you to get your initial thoughts. Um, you were watching, I know, on TV. I was there, like I said, but. Uh, yeah, why don't you give me a little bit of an understanding around how you're feeling, and uh, we can get into some uh, takes. I'm sure we'll have some questions as it relates to uh, everything that happened, but uh, just give me your overall sense and your overall feeling as it relates to uh, how you felt about the game on Saturday night, and then, uh, yeah, where you're at now.
1: Sure. Well, I think like a lot of this has to do with, well, uh, in terms of feelings for a lot of Notre Dame fans, is how this always felt like a game that we could have won, both in terms of the lead-up to it Everyone felt that Sam Hartman would make a difference and that Notre Dame this year, you know, was in a place to be competitive with Ohio State, unlike last year, or perhaps unlike other big games over the, you know, preceding 20, uh, twenty, thirty years, where Notre Dame was outmatched and everyone kinda knew going in that, that they weren't gonna weren't gonna win the game, see Alabama for the national title game, for example. But we look at what, what the buildup was, it was great. You know, obviously, looking from home, the stadium was packed. You know, the game day, you know, environment was pretty, pretty energetic all the way through, and even to the, you know, from the kickoff on, you know, Notre Dame getting the ball on their first drive of the game and driving down, and you know, on a fourth and one play that was overturned, uh, you know, stalling out what was otherwise a pretty promising drive. On a fourth down that could have could have been converted, and I think that's the story of the first half for Notre Dame: a lot of missed chances, the ability to actually have put points on the board through um, that drive being one. Also, a missed field goal um, from 47 yards out uh, was costly, and then additionally, um, Notre Dame also had a chance to make a pick in the end zone with DJ Brown uh, at the end of the first half uh, that would have prevented the Ohio State scoring. And then, you know, on the good side, you know, looking at what Notre Dame did, I think, you know, number one, they had their own defensive stop on the goal line of Ohio State, stuffing them several times from inside the five-yard line, uh, including at the one, uh, to prevent a score, uh, which was really, really, I, I thought for sure Ohio State was just going to bag it in. Being able to make that stop was was pretty impressive. And the game really felt like an old-school Big Ten Matchup, think Notre Dame, Penn State, 1992, Snow Bowl-type vibes, low scoring, under 20. And it felt like something that really, in some ways, favored Notre Dame, which was not known as having an explosive offense. The other pieces that were interesting were the first half. There wasn't really an attempt um, by the Notre Dame offense to really stretch the field. I thought that everyone coming in feeling like Sam Hartman was going to be the difference. He never really took the lid off of the offense. There weren't a lot of deep balls thrown. I think the longest pass play might have been the first one uh, of the game, which was a short pass that turned into a long game. But beyond that, he really wasn't pushing the ball down the field. The offense didn't really have a, a firm identity after that first drive. And so it felt kind of like a, almost like a, a battle of attrition in the first half and a lot of stagnation uh, for both teams. And, you know, on the on the defensive side, one of the things to say is that I think our corners were seeing this position of strength coming into the game. First half and second half. Uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that our cornerbacks themselves in man coverage held up very well against what is really the top two uh, receivers uh, in the in the country. Two of the top receivers, certainly the top receiving tandem uh, in the country. So all in all, it wasn't a terrible first half for Notre Dame. One where we probably left points on the board that clearly cost us later. And in from a defensive perspective, holding Ohio State to three points in the half, I think should be seen as a victory.
0: Yeah, a lot, a lot to unpack as it relates to everything you laid out there. Um, and let's maybe start with some of the stuff that happened in the first half. And, and I'll actually um, as well give a quick recap around the day as a whole. I mean, it was it was absolutely beautiful weather. It was one of those days that for those of you that were at the 2005 USC game, reminded you a lot of that type of day. It wasn't as probably as crisp and as cool as that day, but the sun was out. Absolutely beautiful. The tailgating lots were absolutely slammed. Um, there were people everywhere. The campus was totally full. It, it did look like a lot of Notre Dame fans in the tailgating lots. You didn't see as many Ohio State fans. But then as the game started, the Ohio State fans started to trickle in. I'm sure they were tailgating maybe somewhere often in, in the distance. And I'd say, well, you know, once you got into the stadium, it was definitely probably, I would say, I'd say between tw- maybe a little over 20% Ohio State fans, not anywhere near what I think you saw for those of us over there for the Georgia game, not anywhere near, uh, what you saw for the Cincinnati game. So kudos to Notre Dame fans. They did a real good job. It seemed very similar atmosphere maybe to like Clemson last year from this, from a, a, a fan standpoint, from a visitor side, Definitely, uh, the Notre Dame fans did a good job of keeping those tickets outside of the Ohio State fans. I will say, the group that was there from Ohio State, they're definitely loud, uh, but it was a very, it was pretty gracious group. It, it, we sat around a lot of Ohio State fans and they were pretty, pretty nice all in all. But uh, let's take a look at, as you kind of were talking a little bit about Crater, that first half and, I agree. Points left on the board. You know, talk about Notre Dame on that first drive that we had and Sam Harmon running out of bounds and not getting the first down. You know, if you watch the replay, I, I, I've watched it a few times. I don't know how they overturned that. Uh, there's got to be definitive evidence to overturn that play. They called it a first down on the field and it didn't look like anything that I saw um, wouldn't have been a first down. It looked like almost where he went out of bounds from the standpoint of an, I don't know, maybe I understand the rule wrong, but I always thought it was wherever your foot lands out of bounds and where the ball is that's where you're out of bounds. I don't know, maybe I'm reading it wrong, but if that's the case, he was definitely he was even a yard past the, the first down. But he's got to do a little better job on that play. You know, maybe he either makes a cutback inside or he you know, he gives a dive putting the ball out. You know, if, if he gets hit, the ball's gonna go into the uh, out of bounds. So I don't know. It would it was it was a tough first drive for the Irish because we had a bunch of good plays to start and then we kinda of stalled. I'm gonna throw that back to you, Chris. Uh, you know, the first play of the game was a nice pass to Chris Tyree, and I don't think he saw the ball the rest of the game. And this is kind of tending, this is becoming a little bit more of a, of a thing with the Irish. We're getting Tyree involved, but he gets about maybe one, possibly two catches a game. And I was listening to Hit Nusselder earlier today, and Greg Fehmon's been pretty adamant about it, um, on Twitter and in in the in his podcast and his videos that it just doesn't seem like they're. Targeting Chris Tyree and Tobias Merriweather, he added in there as well. But uh, what are your thoughts? Are we, are we missing out on, on not getting Tyree the ball more? He seems to make plays every time he gets the ball, but it just doesn't seem like we're making it a point for us to get him uh, get him the ball and get him the ball in space.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I think there's a number of times this season where we flashed that jet sweep action with Tyree, and I don't recall us ever giving him the ball on that. I thought for sure against Ohio State, uh, you know, since we'd shown that action the first few games of the year, they'd actually try that just try to get him the ball in space because he's certainly one of our fastest players uh and i thought that was a mistake i think you know i agree with you drew that you know he's somebody we could have featured a lot more uh during the during the game and uh, the offense in the first half just quite frankly didn't really understand it just didn't make sense you know i think we moved to the second half and it seems like we identified an, uh some kind of you know a, a plan of attack to go after our house state which ended up being successful but um, you know, as it relates to that first down, uh, or the lack of a first down from Sam Hartman, like, you know, regardless of the rule, I feel like he he could have forced his way to that first down and took the each way out of bounds. And at that point, I don't, I don't know that you can leave that in doubt. Like, get the first down. You know, you can't be in a situation where you almost get it. I think you have to get it. And, you know, while maybe from a review standpoint, I don't think that's something that typically gets overturned. Maybe we should expect that with the Big Ten officiating crew. Um, at the same time, you can't leave that in the hands of the officials. Just go get the first down and make it so obvious. Um, and ultimately, that that proved to be costly for Notre Dame because I think that was going to be points. Um, there's no question.
0: Yeah, the the crowd was pretty fired fired up at that moment. You know, we had once again stopped Ohio State on their first drive, gotten the ball back. Had the nice long pass to Tyree, and then we were driving the ball. And yeah, I think if he gets that, it's it's obviously it's first first down at the 17. Um, and as we sh- showed most of the evening, at least for the rest of the evening, we were, when we were getting into those spots, we we were we were able to complete plays. And I, I do think I agree we were either going to get a field goal at that, at that point, or we're going to get a touchdown. And it would have been a great start to the to the first opening drive for the Irish. Um, one of the things I want to talk a bit about Crater is 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 the Dorname defense, and you brought them up. You talked a lot about the cornerbacks, but let's talk a little bit about what the Irish did to Ohio State's offensive line, or Ohio State's uh, rushing attack. And I'm going to throw some stats out to you. So Trayvon Van their number one running back, had 14 carries for 104 yards. Uh, He had 61 of those yards on that touchdown. Um, The rest of their backs had a total of... Uh, it looks like Chip Traynham was the only other back that saw carries. He had six carries for 13 yards. Um, McCord had a couple of rushes just from you know scrambling, and that was about it. So, I think the Irish's defense did a tremendous job of stopping Ohio State on rushing. I think they only had one run over 10 yards, and that was the long uh, to Trayvon Henderson on the run. But what do you think about the offense, or excuse me, the Irish's defense and how they were able to bottle up the, Ar- the Ohio State rushing attack, which I think a lot of us thought. If that was going to be a way for Notre Dame to win, it was going to be bottling them up and not letting them get yards and making, you know, second down and long. And that's what they kind of were in for most of the game. So love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think if you look at the rushing attack, everything was just kept in front of them other than the one long run. And that's what makes that one long run so frustrating was like, you know, I think ultimately it was such an outlier for the the game. Um, but I agree. Like as much as Notre Dame didn't have success getting to McCord as a quarterback, uh, I do think they made up for that with some really nice plays in the backfield, as well as a really stout uh, defensive line and linebacker effort. Um, it just it is kind of frustrating though, just because you know thinking about that game and how it just felt like missed opportunities in so many in, in, in so many instances, and you know obviously the Henderson play was huge, but. There are a number of other plays where it's like, just get the stop. 10 for 17 on third down for Ohio State. We could not get them off the field when we would get to that third and long after a couple of nice stops. And for whatever reason, whether it's the defense calls, whether it was other breakdowns, an inability to rush the passer, we could not get off the field on third down, which I think is a really crucial part of why we lost the game.
0: Yeah, I will completely agree on that and that part. It did seem like they were always completing. Long third down plays, or slants, or you know the tight end running wide open in the middle on third down. It just it seemed like it was, it was their big play that they consistently hit all night. We would do a really good job on first and second down, and then we would just kind of fall apart on third down. And you know, kudos to them and their play calls and their quarterback played. You know, he played well for obviously his first big game on the road, his first night environment. And yeah, it just it was frustrating to watch those plays kind of unfold but at the end of the day for as good as that was for Ohio State you know Notre Dame limited them to 10 points until the final three seconds I mean if we'd stopped them on that last drive they scored 10 points for the whole game uh, with with one of those t- with their only touchdown being a 61 yard run, I wanted to cut back to um, still in the first quarter here, crater. So after Notre Dame turned the ball over on downs, Ohio State got the ball back and you know could be a play um, a situation where they could gain a ton of momentum, but Notre Dame did a tremendous job on defense and forced them into a three and out, and they punted. And then Notre Dame got the ball uh, at their own 32 and drove the field and got into position for a field goal and spencer schrader came out and you know badly missed a uh i think it was a it was a like a 47 yard attempt or something yeah 47 yard attempt um he is now 50 percent on the season uh we talked a lot about his booming leg we've talked a lot about how he he's made that really long field goal a couple of really long field goals he holds an record, but. He's been dramatically inconsistent and it's it's tough to watch, especially in a game like that of of that magnitude, him coming out and missing that kick that badly. Um, what do you think that A does for the team's psyche and then B, you know, what's kinda of your thoughts on our field goal operations? You know, we obviously have a new special teams coach who actually came in with, you know, a good pedigree around making sure that field goal kickers were doing good and you know, I would love to hear your thoughts as it relates to Spencer Schrader and you know, obviously he needs to improve and I don't know. I don't have the confidence that we can count on him to make a game-winning field goal as of right now. I even heard in the press conference today that they're switching the holders, which is, which is crazy um, that we're doing that for five games into the season. But uh, I guess if he's asked for it, which sounds like he did, then he's got a, a beef with the, the current guy holding. But uh, yeah, it just seems like we do not have a field goal kicker that we can know and trust right now.
1: Yeah, is it, you know, I think he has. Um he has a lot of qualities that are that are positive in terms of the leg, and he showed one long field goal. He didn't miss another, um, a couple other long ones. And look, 47-yard field goal isn't a layup, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it wasn't a 20-yarder that he shanked. But the, the way in which he missed it was just so far away from being good, whether that's the nerves or what have you. Um, it just does not seem like, yeah, you know, he's on a positive streak you know, that he's a 50% kicker at this point and he needs to get on the streak of making three, four, five, six in a row before everyone kind of believes that he can. So I am a little nervous about it. Changing the holder feels like a, a cope, you know, kind of like some kind of strategy to make himself feel better about the situation. But, you know, at the end of the day, if, it, if he starts taking field goals through, then I'll, then I'll stop doubting it. But it, does, it was really frustrating and I think ultimately and now, you know, makes me cringe every time we kick a field goal. Like I used to expect it to miss now and maybe that's the wrong attitude, but that's what it feels like at this point.
0: Yeah, I I feel the exact same way. Um so let's let's see if anything changes this weekend.
1: Well, All right. And, and just a quick note on the kicking, like, and I know we'll get to the second half, but you know, you know, kicking is about being clutch in the right moments. Like no one cares if like you boom a punt at a time where it doesn't matter, and no one cares if like, you know, when you're up forty two to six, um Coducks, um, Ducks where you it, it, and you kick the ball into the end zone right for a touchback that does not matter what matters is if you do it to prevent a return from the other team getting in better field position uh, when it really matters in the game and so you know I don't care if groupie wins you know I mean not groupie I'm pining for last year but if Trader makes you know every single field goal against Central Michigan I don't care you know it does not matter in the game what matters is he has to make the field goal Against Ohio State when it counts, and McPherson's got to make a punt against Ohio State when it counts uh, with the other a couple couple minutes left
0: in the, in the game. Yeah, I, um, we were. You're right. We'll talk about this in our second half coverage. But that last punt by McPherson, 46 yards, it need it needed to be better than that. You know, he caught the ball I think at something maybe around the 30, and then he I think he got a seven or eight yard return, and he probably would have gone longer. He ended up just kneeling on it after he got beat his first guy. But that punt needs to be the biggest punt he's ever had. I don't care if it rolls out of bounds into the end zone. They're at least starting at their 20, right? That's what he needed to do on that play. He kicked it short. It was not high. So the guy had the ability to return it. I mean, if anything, you got to have that guy for catch the ball. It just, it was, it was not a good punt in that moment. And he's actually been good this year, but that's like you just said, it's those moments when you need to get a really good punt and you get it off and you need to have a good one. And he didn't have it. And that was, you know that is something that you know once again contributes to how the game ended, and we can talk about that last play or the last drive here in a little bit as we get to the second half. But uh, going back to the first half, so all right, um, we're, we're to the point where Schrader misses his field goal. Then Ohio State gets the ball, drives down thirteen plays. Like, I think they go about seventy yards. Notre Dame stops them at fourth and one. Um, had a really good stop on uh, you know second and second and goal from the four, and then a third and goal at the one. Um, so it came to fourth and one from the from the one yard line, and Ohio State faked the handoff and made a pass. A great play by um, Snead in the end zone, tipped it, and the Irish got the ball over. Um, we then, or we got the ball back. We then went down and hit did about five plays and punted, and then Ohio State got the ball back, drove the length of the field again and then got within field goal distance and made a field goal. And as you said, Crater, um, the play right before the field goal, which was a uh, third and eight from 13, uh, they threw a pass in the end zone and it went off DJ Brown's hands. He dove, um, you know, definitely could have been probably an interception that he could have had. Um, and it's a tough one, right? Because it then leads to three points. You're probably looking at zero, zero at the half, or, you know, possibly, you know, you know, maybe the Irish try to try to score if he intercepts that and they get the ball at the 20 and they're you know, they've got 34 seconds left, but, uh, I wanted to ask you the question, creator, um, and I think some of us were talking a little bit about this in the stands. So the Irish were going to be getting the, the the kick coming out of halftime. It was three nothing. They kicked off, and it went to the uh, it was went out of, went to the into the end zone. So the Irish start the ball at their own twenty five with twenty seconds twenty six seconds left. What are your thoughts there? Do you think the Irish should have maybe have gone for a couple of plays to see if they could maybe hit a long pass and, and get into field goal position, um, or were you happy when they uh, when they down the ball? I think. I have. I'll give you my opinion after I hear yours, but you know, once again, we're getting the ball coming out of the second half.
1: Yeah, I mean, look. Um, ordinarily, again, in years past, I would feel like we should just down the ball and go to halftime. I mean, so if you asked me for you know last you know with a number of other kids under quarterback, but is really good in the two minute drill this year. And I think which, what I probably would have done in that moment was try to see if I could get a first down. And if I got a first down, then I'd feel like, okay, it's worth a shot. I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't hurt us at all to try a 50-some-yard field goal. It also gives or another chance to kick the ball, which would have been the worst thing. So I'd probably go for at least one play there before I just retire and send it to the, house, send it to the, uh, the locker room for half.
0: Yeah, I... I... I would have done the same thing. I would have at least given him one shot to see if he could maybe hit someone down the seam, maybe hit someone on an out route. Um, But I would have given it one shot. I do think, you know, I think Ohio State had maybe – they had a couple timeouts, maybe two, maybe three. But I think even if they had to – you know, even if you don't hit that first shot, then obviously you're going to be handing the ball off. You're going to force them to use your timeouts. I – I don't think that they would have gotten the ball back with you know any more than maybe 10 seconds left, maybe even a little bit less. And Once again, if you're making a nice punt at that point, they're probably going to kneel on it anyways, um, knowing that they've got the lead and that it's about the half. But, uh, yeah, I would have given it at least one shot. And exactly what you just said, Crater, he's been really good on two-minute drill. Why didn't we at least, at least give him one shot? It, this is... And this goes back to what you said at the beginning, Crater. You have this quarterback for a reason, and he should be a difference maker in games like this. And we'll talk about him from an overall perspective here in a little bit too. But he didn't shine um, on Saturday. You know, he was 17 for 25 for like 170-some yards. Um, didn't take a whole lot of shots downfield, Like I said, now that could be, it could be because of the pressure um, that he was getting. He didn't have a ton of time to throw. Ohio State was definitely getting to him. But this is the type of game where the, you supposedly have the better quarterback, and he's he's the one that is going to lead you to victory and even if we had won on saturday night i don't think that sam hartman was the was the end-all be-all reason for us winning so maybe we just get into that right now crater because we're at half right now what do yeah. you think of hartman's performance do you think that the coaches set him up to succeed on saturday night and would you have loved to see more from him
1: look i think overall i thought he made there were a couple of throws he made that were really good uh you know, one of the six out is the one down the seam to Mitchell Evans, which was a great throw and catch. Um, you know, but I was surprised and and, and again, I, I I'm not a, a D one football coach, right? But I'm surprised there weren't more attempts to try to get some of our better players in space down the field simply because it seems like that was something that you know he was brought in to do. I mean we came in almost leading the country with big plays. Ohio State had been susceptible to big plays throughout the year from a defensive standpoint. And so the feeling was coming into the game, Notre Dame would try to create some long path plays with Hartman because the run defense of Ohio State was so stout. And I thought that was kind of surprising. And, and as we moved towards the run in the second half um, and really found a lot of success there, I think that it was also surprising, again, that we didn't even try to go long. And, and, and that's where I'm kind of looking at this as like, you know, a uh, Tham Hartman game manager instead of difference maker when we really needed him to be a difference maker.
0: Yeah, I, I I feel like I've listened to way too many podcasts already on it, and I think everyone, you know, depending upon which podcast you're listening to, folks have different takes on it, and I think, you know, you brought up the running running game and and, and how that was going, and obviously we... You know, for lack of a better term, we leaned on them in the second half and were able to get some really good running you know sets going and we We saw a lot of a lot of yardage from our running backs, which was great to see um you know we were clearly the most more physical team we were wearing them down, so you know it's not to say that you need to move away from something that's working, but that being said, once again, you know this is why you have a quarterback like Sam Hartman in this situation, and in these types of games it's because he can hit that ball. Uh, on a deep throw, he can hit that ball down the seam like that pass to Mitchell Evans. That was one of the nicest passes I think he's thrown all year. Probably his, you know, whether his his, his absolute best or his second best pass, it was, just, it was just awesome. It was over a defender and in between two others. That's why you have Sam Hartman as your quarterback. But you didn't take shots down the field, and you know whether that is, you know, I guess they didn't run a ton of play action, which you didn't see. They, they you know, maybe you roll him out of the pocket and give him some time that way. But it just, it just did not seem like he was the he was. It wasn't the Sam Hartman that we'd seen for a lot of the season. You know, it wasn't the Sam Hartman that we saw against North Carolina State. Um, it wasn't the Sam Hartman that was, you know, throwing the ball downfield consistently. And once again, it could be because of, of the of the pressure from Ohio State, but it's this is a game where I think we even said, I was I think it was on my one of the other things I was talking, like, I would never have expected a game where he didn't throw for less than 220 yards in this game. I just, I'm shocked that he threw for only 170, but I don't think he was in position to throw for any more than 170. So I just, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not absolutely confounding because once again, the running game was doing well, but man, I don't think you can go into a game against Ohio state and expect to win with 14 points.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Like, I just, I I feel like Hartman, um, he, he did remain poised. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Like, you know, again, there's not panic. He still doesn't have an interception on the year, by the way. Um, and there's a lot of good to this, right? He wasn't trying to force the issue. He was taking what the defense gave him. You know, it's hard to know what kind of play calls, you know, could have been different throughout the game that would have allowed him to showcase that. But you also, you know, and, and maybe Drew, you saw this better live, you know, I didn't get a sense that our receivers are getting incredible amounts of separation either, which is a a Notre Dame issue or has been an issue for some time. Is you know can our receivers find the space? It seems like whenever they needed to find space for their receivers, they were open. (laughs) You know, Um, but I don't know if you could see that during the game, Drew. Do you think that our receivers are getting separation from their DBs and safeties, or no?
0: Yeah, but it's funny because I wouldn't, (laughs) I wouldn't say that I was watching. You know, I feel like when you're at the game, you're you tend to be focusing kind of just on the quarterback and what he's doing on that play. Um and I wasn't noticing it as much. I, I like I said, I've been probably looking at and following too many things this week. But one of the interesting things that I that I've heard and, you know, if once again if you listen to Hidden Hustler, if you follow Greg Flamong on Twitter, um, he's he's kind of, of the opinion that Notre Dame is really not even targeting uh Tyree and Merriweather. That the routes that those guys are running during the games are whether they're, you know, second, third, or fourth options, and it really is, you know, they're not even guys that are They're getting looked at from a pass perspective. So whether that is because those guys can't get off the line and beat their guy, I don't know. Um, whether that is because the coaches don't trust them, I don't know. Um, but, you know, it, it did seem like it was an offense that was heavy on, you know, hey, let's hit the tight end after four or five yards, or let's see if we can hit Mitchell Evans up the seam. I don't even think Holden Stays got targeted, and he's, he's been our best receiver from a tight end perspective all year. Obviously, Evans had a fabulous night. You know, I don't think anyone would, would – would be mad or, or, or look down upon Mitch Levin's night. He was probably one of the best players out on the field, and he had a great evening. But once again, this is the offense that we saw last year. This is Michael Mayer, you know, getting open. That's what we did last year, and that was because we didn't have wide receivers. And I feel like we we think we have a little bit better wide receivers than what we, we had last year. You know, if Jaden Thomas did get hurt, so he came out. Um, sounds like he's a pulled hamstring of some sort. He's, I can't imagine he'd play this week. Um, so he's probably down. You know, Deion Coles, it turned out that he has – Injured, and he's out now for a few weeks. Um, Matt Salerno's already out, so we've we're down three wide receivers there, and you're relying pretty heavily on three freshmen or two freshmen and probably a third in Braylon Edwards, who's going to come off the bench uh, this weekend because um, he'll probably be playing. But uh, yeah, I mean, Grayhouse and Flores, you know, for as good as they have been, and and this isn't this isn't a shock to anyone. They're not the fastest guys. They're they're thicker guys, you know, they catch everything, which is awesome, and, you know, they're absolutely tremendous f- fresh and wide receivers, but they're not burners, and yeah, I don't know, Crater, something is up or something's not working, or either they're not beating their guys off the line or whatever, but I do think that, you know, maybe there is something to Tyree and Merriweather not being options, because it just seems like those guys are your fastest guys, and now they, they don't have a ton of experience from wide receiver perspective, but You've got to try to figure out ways to get those guys the ball. I mean, they've shown the game before. We saw Tyree down the middle for a touchdown, seventy-five yards, and we saw um for seventy-five yards for a touchdown. I mean, I I don't know how you didn't try a shot for either one of those guys in this game. It's just that's kind of confounding. Like, and once again, yeah. pick your places and do it. Like there were multiple times where I said, Oh, they're gonna go deep to Merriweather here because he's got single coverage and they're not throwing forty with the first and down first down. Why are you not throwing that?
1: I agree, and I th- that's just. And who knows why, right? But you go to the second half in the first series, of the second half, Notre Dame does get the ball, drives from the forty yard line, stalls again on a first down, and on a on a sneak play with Hartman, and you know this will be something that's kind of interesting and, and has been talked about a lot is why is Estime not getting the ball, for, right? And in that situation where you know it's very clear that, that that's just what you do is you just ram that dude up there. That's why you have a two hundred and thirty pound back. Um, and there's most cases where even they gave it to Payne instead of Estime in terms of trying to get the first down. So, anyway, what do you think about that, Drew? I mean, there's they even had to defend the fact that Estime wasn't injured after the game. Um, so, I mean, what do you think about the usage of Estime and even that first series in the second half?
0: Yeah, I think you know we were all asking that in the game, especially in the second half as the drives kind of got underway. Um, you know, SMA had a, a he started it off with with a good run at one point in the at the beginning of the the second half um, and then he just would come out for long periods of time. And there was one stretch where I don't think he saw the field for, it's almost like two series. Like you saw love was in there and then price was in there and Ford was in there and pain was in there. And we, I literally turned to the guys I was with and said, where is estimate he's got to be hurt. Like, where could he possibly be? He, why is he not in here? And you're absolutely right. Creator on the fourth and one, it's at the OSU 39. It's our first drive of the second half. We're down three, nothing. We have the opportunity to get the momentum back. We have the opportunity to get it either to tie it or to score a touchdown. Fourth and one. They hurry the play. You know, trying almost to 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 to, to you know catch Ohio State. You know, not being set. And we have our you know whatever you know 200 pound quarterback trying to sneak the ball off the left hand side, and he runs into two Ohio, not one Ohio State guy, two guys. Why are you not giving it to? You're like you just said, you're bowling ball of a back who averages eight yards a carry and letting him go. And it just, it's kind of confounding and it doesn't make any sense. And I think he had a total of 14 carries for the game, which which led the team, but so many other backs got so many carries as well. And and, and it's hard, right? Because Love looked really good. <laughs> he had a really good game. And Price looked good when he got the ball. I, Payne, you know, I don't know. He's he, You're right. He's this kind of weird third down back that we give him the ball on third down. But once again, why why would you choose him overestimate. we can obviously go to that last drive. I'm sure we'll spend a lot of a lot of time talking about that last drive, but it was so bizarre that SMA was not used as much as he was was this game. I mean, he had over twenty carries against Central Michigan. Why are you giving him twenty carries against Central Michigan and fourteen against Ohio State? That makes zero sense. And by the way, what did he do against Central Michigan but rush for what, one hundred and seventy five yards? Um it just it just makes no sense. He needed to be used more. I could not understand why they weren't getting him the ball. Um, and I do think that, that you know, that there's lots of things that contributed to loss, but I think if you give SMA six more carries in that evening, you know we might be in a different situation. The conversation a little different now. All right, so let's take a look at so that first drive. Like you just said, we were we are stopped on fourth and one, and they get the ball back and immediately on their first down play, that's where Henderson goes around the left hand side for a touchdown. So at this point, it is now ten to nothing, Ohio State. Um, we are you know pretty early on into the third quarter. There's about a little over eleven minutes to go, and at, at this point, the crowd is I would say is is getting a little nervous. Right, it's ten nothing. And, you know, I think we all, same thing, we're turning to each other in the stands and saying, Notre Dame needs to score on this drive. Uh, if they did,
1: yeah, I mean, they go, they go 13 plays, 10 runs, three passes, kind of a great ball control type drive. You know, really mixing up the two back sets. You mentioned Love having a good game. I think he just is really dynamic when he gets it. He hits the hole hard. It feels good to not have to deal with these bullshit zone read plays all the time again uh, under the Kelly Reese era. That being said, you know, taking that much time off the clock was a nice thing in as much as we really limited offensive time on the field for Ohio State. Like they were not on the field that much as an offense in the second half at all. And our I felt like it was our offense offensive line in this drive and then the subsequent drive where they really established, Hey, we're the better team. And you could see it during from that point on, from that point in the third quarter, through the second touchdown scored by Notre Dame, it was just a, a really The kind of thing that fans of the Irish for a long time, who just say, just run the effing ball, have been dreaming of, you know, for two drives, it kind of happened in that way. And you thought, okay, they've taken control of this game. Like, you felt really positive after that second touchdown. I I don't know how you felt being in the stadium, but that's what it felt like to me at home.
0: No, it was great. I mean, it was exactly what you just said. So we went down and we scored. Um, We then, you know, forced them to punt. And then we got the ball right away again, and you know they they did a good job on their punt. They downed us at, the, at our own four, so now we've got the ball. Um, we have to go 96 yards to get a touchdown, and we did exactly what we just said. We pounded it out. We had a great mix of runs. We had a great mix of passes. It seemed like it was one of those games where, you know, I said it earlier in the podcast, and our team started to lean on them, and we started to wear them down. And it was just—it was a tremendous drive, you know. Once again, SMA was not in there a ton, you know. Love was in there a lot, um, you know. SMA actually got—you know—I think he had three carries on the drive, or three or four carries on the drive. Um, but they did a good job of mixing the pass, and it was a great pass to Flores in the t- in the end zone um, to finish off the drive. But you're right—at that time, the crowd was feeling it. We're up fourteen ten. It felt like the momentum was ours. You know, we had are coming off a drive where we had stopped them. So the defense was, you know, obviously excited to get back on the field and, and kind of prove it out and, and, and show that this was going to be our game to win. You know, it's in the fourth quarter. Now, we have a four-point lead over Ohio State in the fourth quarter at home. You know, with the crowd buzzing, so it was it was exactly the environment we wanted, exactly the electricity that we wanted. Um, and then Ohio State got the ball, and you know they had a, they did a really good job of 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 driving on the Irish. You know, they completed you know a third down and and they a couple of third downs, and then they got the ball deep into the Notre Dame men's, Notre Dame part of the field, and the Irish really came to play at this point, and we stopped them on that fourth and one. You know, I was sitting next to an Ohio State fan, my buddy Kevin, who was on the podcast last week, and he could not believe that they ran a sweep <laughs> on fourth and one that looked terrible, play ball, yeah. terrible it reminded, I think a lot of us of some of the time of Reese calls we've seen over the years. But uh, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about finesse football or not being a power football team. That's it right there. I mean, you, once again, how you don't give the ball to your big guy and get him up the middle is, is kind of confounding, but yeah, Notre Dame did an awesome job and we had the ball back now at fourth uh, with four minutes and 12 seconds left. And this is where I think we're going to spend a lot of our time talking, uh, but the Irish have the ball. Four minutes and twelve seconds to go, and Ohio State has um, at this point they have I think two timeouts left or what? no, What do they have? Um, they have no, they had three
1: timeouts.
0: Left okay, at this point. so they have three timeouts at this point. All right, and obviously the goal on this drive is to get yardage, um, but then also force Ohio State to use as many timeouts as possible. And so the Irish started the drive. All of a sudden they went empty backfield, and I think I was yelling, "What the heck are they doing?" Because we got the ball at our own eleven and. Hartman uh, avoided some pressure and got a nice pass out to Rico Flores for a 12-yard gain. So now it's first down at our own 23. Next play, um, Audrick Esame run for 11 yards for a first down to the Notre Dame 34. And at this point, um, it's it's on, right? Now it's there is literally there's two minutes and 28 seconds to go. Ohio State is forced to burn a timeout. So it's first and 10 at our own 34, 228. What is the
1: play they're running to sit with Sam Hartman? I don't get – this is the one that killed the entire drive.
0: Yeah, and I've, I've I've seen a few things either said or written about it, but they went back to the, the two-back set. So they had, I think, Ford and uh, Love in there. They took SMA out, and that's once again, why are we taking Audric SMA out in this situation? He just ran for 11 yards. You haven't utilized him a whole lot the whole game. He clearly
1: – tons, tons of legs
0: tons of legs he is your bellwether back if you get one more first down the game is over and you have three plays to get 10 yards they probably know if you have estimate they're going to give it to him but all that guy has done all year is break tackles um maybe i don't know whatever but just give him the ball three straight plays and see if he can get a first down but if anything you're, you're forcing them to use their timeouts but you're right on the first play we've taken him out after he just had an 11 yard touch or 11 yard first down run and from what i've heard Sam Hartman on the handoff, he turned the wrong way. He turned the wrong way, and when he did that, it kind of botched up the running backs. And I don't know if Love was supposed to get it or what, but either way, he got, you know, the defensive end was on him anyways. He beat the block, and instead of him handing it off, he got sacked for a five-yard loss. Um, and, it, yeah, it all of a sudden, it is now second and 15. So, yeah, it's just bad call and bad personnel, and I there's nothing else you can say about that.
1: Yeah, you got to keep that simple at that point, right? Like, just hand the ball off right? You have a giant left, you have left tackle who's regarded as the number one offensive lineman in the country. At this point, you basically stack, stack up a bunch of dudes over there and run behind him three times and hope to get a first down. I mean, you can you got to go back to those days when uh, Alabama, you know, was just running over people. And you had, you know, <laughs> Derrick Henry in the backfield, right? You just ran the damn ball. And they didn't care. Everyone knew you were running the ball. They didn't care that you knew they were running the ball. They were just going to run it. And that was the attitude that you wanted to see there. Instead, they got cute, right? And the first down play set all basically set the entire next two minutes in motion off one play call there. Because obviously, we go to the screen. Everyone likes to talk about the screen. It was a good play or bad play. You know, obviously, their their defensive end made a nice, nice, nice tip pass. Clearly, had the ball been completed, it would have been a great gain, by the way. I mean, it was very clear on the replay is (laughs) that. That it was going to be a nice positive play for for Notre Dame had it been completed, Hartman's got to throw a better ball there too. So you can bitch about the play call, which is fair, but after that first and after that first first down five yard loss, I think Notre Dame felt like they still were trying to play to win to get the first down, not just to burn the time out. Thought the screen was going to be a good play, and you know, quite frankly, it probably would have been. As much as I hate any kind of play running into the boundary, um, which you know, Drew, <laughs> but it's like. You, know, you just you just got to make a better pass there if you're
0: Hartman. It's, yeah. it's that, that, that simple. Yeah, it's it was tough to watch. I think we were all thinking they were going to run the ball to force Ohio State to use another timeout, and they didn't. And the play was there, like you said, Crater. It's I've watched the replay multiple times. If he catches that pass, if Sam Hartman just lofts the ball, he threw it on a bit of a rope, if he just throws it above the guy's head – I. Price maybe could have scored a touchdown. He easily would have gotten a first down. Maybe he gets to the fifty and he decides to just, you know, fall on it. And once again forcing Ohio State to take another timeout. But it's either way, I think it's 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 almost game over um if he catches that pass because he just had forever to run. And it's, you know, football's a game of inches. And and that I think is once again the frustrating part is that it wasn't the right call you were playing to win you have your sixth-year quarterback and that's a play and a throw that you hope he can make and he just he just didn't he re-rushed it just a little bit too much and and when he when when that happened and the ball fell incomplete you have now saved Ohio State a timeout which obviously came back to haunt us later on as well so now we've got third down um it's third and 15 and we run the ball to you know just take time off the clock Ohio State doesn't use a the timeout they have elect not to and Notre Dame punts it and we've talked about this before but um not a not a good punt by mcpherson um they returned the ball for a for a couple of yards and they've got the ball uh at their own 35 um with a minute and 26 to go and they have uh they have one time do they have one or two
1: yeah they use i think they had they still had two timeouts at that point and then um they actually if you go back and look at me they called the first time out i believe on the hartman sack after the uh botch running play it was their first time out call i believe and then um then they still had the two more because obviously they, you know, we all know they had one when they got down towards the goal line there.
0: Yeah, um, I think.
1: The, uh,
0: I think they actually. I think for whatever I'm looking, kind of trying to look at it, I think they might have only had one at that t- one timeout left at this point. I think they only have one timeout because I'm just looking at it and they didn't use that timeout until um, the 15 seconds left. Because yeah, they elected not to call it okay. when when Notre Dame punted and let the time run off rather than call it right. and have no timeouts on their last last drive. So. Either way, once again, if Notre Dame had done anything a little bit differently on that last drive, they probably would have forced Ohio State to use all their timeouts. So either way, all right, they've got the ball. First and 10 at their own 35, and this is where it's just one of those situations where, and I feel like same thing. I've listened to so many podcasts this week, and I think we've all said this to each other now. There's literally across these last four minutes, you know, if 10 plays went wrong all 10 went wrong and if nine of those 10 go wrong and one goes right the Irish win the game but because all 10 went wrong Notre Dame lost and it just was it was like watching a, a car crash slowly slowly before your eyes and just watching it happen as they can just drove down the field and I, I counted it they had 15 plays over that last minute and 26 seconds That it seems unfathomable but Ohio State you're in 15 plays how that happens but that's, that's what happens when Notre Dame plays really good defense on, on, on multiple plays, and then they just consistently get a long first down. So, you know, they... first
1: fourth, fourth and, fourth and uh, seven, right? Yeah. And then the third nine they converted yeah. on the way down. And, you know, I think there's a couple of critical plays. Obviously, 51 seconds, D.J. Brown dropping an interception. Um, You know, second one in the game. I, I Again, we'll talk about plays Con right? Like he'll look at that forever because that is the ball that not only did he put himself in position to catch it, he might've ran up on it a little bit, but he was watching that thing the whole way. I mean, that thing was just the classic view of an interception and he just dropped the ball and there's no other way to frame it. He just dropped the ball.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I'm never going to blame a player for for a loss um, during a game, and it was it was just tough. You feel for the kid; he was right there to make the play, like you said, he put himself in the position to make the play, and it just went through his hands. And it was just it was so hard to watch because same thing, you know. Turned to the guys next to me, Dan, Hook, Dan Hickey, good Notre Dame friend. Who's you know just as old as, as me, and we both said Pete Bursich, and you know took us back to the '93 Boston College game, and <laughs> we all know the outcome of that one. And once again, it just seemed from that point on that it was inevitable what Ohio State was going to do. But you know the Irish. It
1: I mean, once we got that, what, we put, what was interesting was you know again on that play where shortly after they had a nice play to you know down to the 18 or whatever it was, and then we get the intentional grounding call on second down and great pressure you know, McCord throws it away, and you're thinking on 3rd and 19, like, this is something that, it's 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 now, like, you can see it in your grasp. 3rd and 19, there's just no way they're completing this pass. And in one of, in a really confounding play call, you know, Al Golden going to three-man rush, and and I don't know, I don't listen to a number of podcasts you do, Drew, but I got to believe that <laughs> this is something that, Everybody talks about is it. like It was literally the, the worst possible call in that moment because we were starting to get pressure on McCord. He was feeling the heat, and now we gave him all day to throw. And it just, seeing that live, it was just this collective groan of, oh, no, I can't believe they're only going to rush three on this play. I mean, I started yelling at my TV.
0: Yeah, it was, it was... <laughs> It made no sense because, like you just said, Crater, on the first and second down, they, they brought him pressure, and his first down pass was incomplete. The second down pass was where he got the, uh, the intentional grounding. So you saw what happened when you brought pressure, and it was 19 yards. If you're going to bring pressure, he's going to have to get the ball out quickly. And you don't have to bring six, you don't even have to bring five. You know, five would be great, but you didn't even bring four. And the fact that you brought three, but then you somehow had eight guys behind. And it just, it seemed like they were guarding the end zone and we're going to let anything, yes. anything above the end zone is caught. But they didn't realize that the first down was at the three yard line. It just, you know, I've, once again, so many people have said, you know, why didn't you have just three safeties kind of just lined up? So one in the middle, one on the right side, one on the left side, have them sitting at the three yard line, have those three safeties there. If, if they sit there and they don't move, one of them is going to intercept that pass because, he looked him down the whole way, but if you watch the replay, he was wide open, and no one was near him until he caught the ball, but you're, it just, it made no Everyone's
1: sense. The they were yeah, so afraid it, of the touchdown, they forgot to guard the guy, and it was just, yeah, it was a fine pass. It wasn't an elite pass or an elite catch by any stretch. It was a wide open receiver at a time where you couldn't do it, and I just don't understand that. I mean, I've always, you know, my, you know, prevent defense is really about preventing you from winning. And ultimately, that's what happened. And as mentioned, Marcus Freeman wants to pit, you know, talk about the offensive play calling. As we were trying to win the game, not to not lose the game. That was a defensive play call about not trying to lose the game, and it was just stupid. Yep. There's no other way around it. It was just stupid. And then beyond that, poor execution of what was a stupid play call, because I keep everyone in front of you, keep them in front of the first down, because again, if you tackle them short of the first down, right. Their challenge is now, they the clock is not going to stop even momentarily. Like they don't, They're only going to have one more play to run, even if they spike it. Whereas they got the first down, clock stopped momentarily, give them the chance to come up and spike the ball.
0: Yep. Yeah, I mean, it literally, like you just said, I mean, you force him to throw the ball short. You force him to throw the Whatever you do, I mean – a f- even a 14 yard completion at that point, you know, if you tackle the guy and everyone takes a little bit of time to get up, like the clock is running. They're probably not going to be able to get set. Maybe they get set to have one play, but it's going to be kind of a, a crazed a play. Track. Yeah, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But it's just all you needed to do was force them to get maybe even 16 yards, whatever it is. Like it just was, it seems. He's in front
1: of you. Yeah. It, it, and then, yeah. And then obviously you get to the end where, like, you call a timeout and then somehow out of a timeout show up with 10 guys in the field um for two plays and benjamin morrison makes a nice play on a pass breakup and then obviously the last play where you know the 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 runner got in for by about three inches but still got in looks like on the replay and with 10 guys on the field and it's just like you just can't have that happen and no there's no one to blame but coaches on that um As to why one, you know, why they didn't have 11 guys on the field and why they didn't recognize it. I mean, how many friggin' people work on the Notre Dame coaching staff and nobody saw it? And I think this speaks to the indicative of this is a team. These are rookie ish coaches who have not been in a position that before you can say that, but Al Golden's been a defensive coordinator for a long ass time. Like fundamentally, you got to have 11 dudes on the field. That's it.
0: Yeah, I yeah, it's it's it was it was unreal. And you know, being in the stadium, I will admit, I did not notice it. I definitely didn't notice it. I well, think the, all I, the
1: hype and the excitement and all that. I get, I get why people wouldn't. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, that's not that's not the fans' job. The the coach's job is about execution. And yeah. so, I think every Notre Dame fan is going to feel like we gave this away. And I don't think Ohio State is ultimately that good of a team. Which really
0: bodes poorly for our future prospects, even if we went out. Yeah, um, I'll talk. We'll talk about Ohio State and 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 the prospects moving forward in a sec. But yeah, I just want to give my quick thoughts on it. Um, I agree with you, Crater, with regards to it. You, it is absolutely unacceptable to have only ten guys on the field there. You, and that's on Marcus Freeman. It, it comes down to him. It, the buck stops with him. That's his job. You know, and I, I'm glad he took the blame at the end. You know, he took the blame more so on the Monday press conference. Um, you know, and and he fell on the sword. But they're clearly, and it sounds like they have a system in place now. But how you don't have, like you just said, you have analysts in the booth, you have a defensive coordinator, you've got coming out of the. How can you have coming out of a timeout ten guys on the field? That just makes absolutely no sense. The, the crazy thing was is that we had some amazing pressure on that play and almost sacked them on the on the on the second down play. And you're like, wow, that was great, great pass sir. But even even if you watch, everyone keeps on noticing too that on their third down play, they brought in their power running back set, and Notre Dame kept their nickel team on the field. You had the opportunity to sub because those guys subbed. Why are you not putting in your run defense? And as a part of that, you should have four defensive linemen out there. You only had three. Uh, it is absolutely even amazing that we somehow stopped tackled them. At some point on that play, because in a normal situation, when the you have the entire left side of your line is no one on him, how they? That guy's running forever. Yeah, he's running and he's running into the end zone and get, like, get, jumping into the stands. Yeah, for high fives. So, it just it's it's unbelievable that that's the way it went down. It's really sad that that's the way it went down because I think everyone was, you know, it was it was an, it was a great game by by two really good teams and you know if we lose that game with 11 guys on the field obviously it stings but it doesn't sting nearly as much as not having the right guys on the field and to have it happen on two plays in a row i i hope whatever happened that you know someone got absolutely destroyed in their meetings because that is on i freeman can take the blame but that's on someone else that's on golden that's on washington that's on the analyst in the booth one play is one play it's not never not acceptable, but the two plays in a row is absolutely unbelievably unacceptable. And you know that these are the types of things that people lose jobs over. And you know Marcus Freeman, you know this is a, a game that everyone's going to look back at. And we had to watch that awful rant by Ryan Day at the end where he what went, went off and whatever. Like he, you were not the more physical team, Ohio State. You won. On a, on a lucky break at the end there, you, great, great drive at the end. Awesome. I will give you a ton of credit for that, but you are not the more physical team. Notre Dame was a better team, and you know, we should have won that game is what I will say. So,
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you know, for Ryan Day, the fact that he's a grown man who seems to care that 86-year-old Lou Holtz is talking smack on TV, who's not even involved in the program at all, is literally a TV commentator, just shows that that's just a weak-ass dude. So stop it. Like, you want to demonstrate your talk? Don't rant on Lou Holtz at a press conference or at a at a mic after the game. Yeah. Congratulate your team on the win because they deserve to be congratulated. They fought hard. McCord was good under pressure. He didn't crack. I mean, he should have been picked twice, obviously. But at the end of the day, they did enough to win the game. Um, and they made the plays yeah. and Notre Dame didn't. That's yeah. it.
0: Okay. Yeah, and I, I... – I still think that we have a really good team. I still think that this is a team that, you know, should be in the position to win a lot of their games moving forward. Um, I'm not going to move off off my 11-1 prediction yet. Um, Obviously, you know, they're still in the opportunity to do that. But they have a tough game coming up this weekend against Duke. Um, Game day will be there. It's another night game. They've got, you know, they have to turn the corner and they have to turn the page on. This is going to be one of the biggest games of Marcus Freeman's career because this is going to be a game that, This is a tough opponent. Uh, Duke's played really well this year. Um, We have the better team. That's without question. We have the better quarterback. That's without question. Uh, But, you know, what can Freeman do to make sure that the team can get past what happened on Saturday night? Because that was a a really, really tough ending, and I can imagine a lot of players on the team are feeling pretty down. But you've got to turn this around quickly because this is a game that is an absolute must-win and is a game that you should win. And so we're going to see what the team's made of uh, as they come out on Saturday night. So, um I'm gonna, well, going a, to – we've got it. – I'll go ahead, criteria.
1: Well, let's say going to this game, it's interesting that, you know, um, obviously they have a quarterback, and we're talking about Riley Leonard. He has two touchdown passes this year, I think. Um, this is a running team, right? And it's not some big play passing team. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here for Notre Dame. It feels a lot like NC State, maybe with some better personnel on Duke. I also think Duke got a lot of credit for the Clemson win. And I think probably a little bit too much credit, to be honest with you. So – the way I look at it is, you know, they have some players in their team. They're they're not a bad team. Notre Dame, if they don't out physical them, it would be a just an absolute shock to me. Um, and I feel like they're trying to generate a lot of hype out of this. But I feel like Duke is just like a they're a West Coast Colorado or, or East Coast Colorado. You know, like everyone wants them to be better than they actually are.
0: Yeah, I hope I hope that's the case. I mean, I've I've I haven't watched I haven't watched I watched that Clemson game. Um I agree I they looked good against Clemson, but once again, how good is Clemson? They're 2 and 2 um, right now, so I don't think they're actually even that good, but their quarterback is good. Um you're right, he doesn't throw a ton, but he he's a threat to run and so, I think you're going to see a very similar defense to what we put on against North Carolina State, where you've got to have guys in lanes, guys, you know, making sure that he doesn't get past you because he, he does have the ability to run and he's a good runner. So, they've got to do whatever they can to limit him from that perspective. They do have a pretty good defense, but I don't think that they've been challenged a whole lot this year. And, we know, once again, let's see well, what.
1: Cle- yeah. Well, Clemson's not a power running team. I mean, they, they run up there with Will Shipley, who's an undersized, kind of scat back, a really good receiver out of the backfield type guy. They haven't faced anyone who's just going to be downhill on him. And you know, I think yeah, Leonard's a great runner. He really gashed Clemson uh, in the first part of the year, but at the same time, that's the first week of the season. Nobody knows what's going on. Now you've seen what they're going to do. Um, I just don't think that they have enough horses necessarily to compete. That being said, you know, still football. I would just be surprised if Notre Dame doesn't do a lot of what it did in the second half of Ohio State, which is run the ball effectively. You know, I think they did find something with Love in the two back set. It's going to be tough for a lot of teams to beat. I would just love to see a little bit, a little bit more of an open, open passing attack, just to stretch out that defense to make it even easier.
0: Yeah, I think you lean on the running game, like you said, which should then hopefully open up play action, right? And that's where you have the good quarterback that can make those play action passes and, you know, bring your team to a good win. So I think the pressure, you know, from a defensive line perspective, won't be nearly as good as Ohio State. He should have some time to throw. And I think if if Notre Dame plays their game, I think this should be a similar. In, it should be. Whether it will be, I don't know, but this should be a similar outcome to the North Carolina State game. You know, NordAM should be able to win this game, should be able to win this game going away. And, you know, but once again, there's a lot on their minds, and, you know, Freeman needs to get the boys ready uh, for this weekend. So we've got about uh, three and a half minutes left here, Crater. Um, I'm going to throw it back to you for some final thoughts, um, whether it's on Ohio State or NordAM as a whole. Um, but yeah, let's give your final thoughts to wrap up the pod.
1: Uh, I just think it was uh, this is a good team as you said and I think it's you know despite the loss I think you still have a lot more confidence in a good team we'll see how they perform this weekend Um, I think uh, a a quick shout out to Javante Jean Baptiste who I think was all over the field Uh, we haven't talked about him on uh, on Saturday but really just a tremendous game and inspired against his former team and uh, I thought he played really well so you know I, I feel good about the team I think they're They're really solid, they really are. I mean, let's not forget Ohio State is not exactly a a terrible team to play against. It's just a heartbreaking loss and for Notre Dame fans who are just used to these things. I don't know where this one stings, you know? I mean, I was at the Bush-Bush game um, with you, Drew. Um, That one was almost unbelievable to watch and the suddenness of it. I think in this particular case, the degree to which it was a slow-moving wreck uh of the last four minutes only twisted the knife even further and the self-inflicted wounds to get there uh were almost almost made this in many cases a worse loss so yeah i do hope that they turn it around um i think gerard uh, i think jared parker he talked about washing the filth off of from that game uh on offense and you know hopefully it's the coaches who take a long hot showers and reflect on what they need to do to to, to win the game because i think the players um put themselves in a position to win and were let down on the field by the coaches at the end,
0: yeah, I think for me the the overall feeling of it is that this was your chance to really kind of once again show out on a national stage um uh, beat a team that you know a lot of people don't think you can beat beat a team that a lot of people say is more talented than you beat a team that you know. At the end of the day, you were better than, and you could have gotten a lot of momentum from this game. This is the kind of game that you can look back on ten years from now and say, "Well, the last time we beat Ohio- played Ohio State, we beat them because we're not going to play them anytime soon unless we see them in the playoffs one of these days." But uh, it was a it was a wasted opportunity. And I agree with you, Creator. You know the players played played well enough. Um, some mistakes by the coaches. Um, you know some some plays at the end that didn't go away, but absolutely a game that we could have and should have won Um, but now we got to rebound and you know break out the rest of the season you know we win this weekend Um, you know that'll be a good win and then we win at Louisville and now all of a sudden you're looking at a great matchup against USC we won't get too far ahead of us uh, far ahead of ourselves but uh, thanks for joining Crater this was cathartic glad we could talk it through Um, thanks again everyone for joining us Um, we've got about a minute left here so I'm going to close it out but uh, this is the Exit 77 podcast I'm your host Drew Brennan thanks for joining Chris Crater Chris you got five seconds to say goodbye
1: Drew, thanks for
0: having me on again, and go Irish. Yeah, go Irish. Let's get a big win this Saturday. Um, let's hope that the boys can turn it around, get back into their winning ways, um, and we are going to have the Notre Dame lacrosse bagpipers take us out. Once again, Exit 77, Notre Dame Football Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Brennan. Thanks again for listening, and as always, uh, let's go Irish.